Welcome to the Business of Agriculture, a podcast created to enlighten, inspire, and inform those who work in or depend on the world's most important endeavor, agriculture. Here's your host, Damian Mason. Greetings. Hey, thanks for joining us here on the Business of Agriculture. It's me, Damian Mason, your host. The Business of Agriculture is not just an audio format anymore. It's now a video format. That's right. Go to YouTube and type in Damian Mason or go to D Mason Comedy. That's my YouTube channel. And you can then hit subscribe. I would love for you to do that because then you hitting subscribe will get us more visibility. So it's on YouTube at D Mason Comedy, my Damian Mason playlist, uh, Business of Agriculture, as well as the Do Business Better podcast. Also, it's on on all of the audio formats where you get your podcast. The Business of Agriculture, today we're gonna be talking to John Newton. He's the Chief Economist for the American Farm Bureau. He's a good dude, he's been a friend of the show. He comes on here regularly and gives us his insights. He also gave us a stellar quote about my book, Food Fear, and uh, we, we make sure that we say that all the time. He, in fact, is on the back cover. He's almost as famous as me on this book because he's got a wonderful quote in there. His name is John Newton. We're going to be talking about trade, the USMCA. That's the United States, Mexico, Canada trade agreement, what it means for agriculture. We're going to talk about other trade stuff. Before we bring in, John, I'm going to remind you that the business of agriculture is brought to you by my good friends at Harvest Profit. Harvest Profit is a software solution for managing the numbers side of your agricultural enterprise. So if you have an ag enterprise, a farming operation, any farming operation or operator that you know that says, hey, I could benefit by having a software product that gives me more visibility into the numbers side of my farm, you can sign them up for a 14-day free trial at harvestprofit.com. John Newton, USMCA, went into effect July 1st. We got all kinds of stuff going on. The world's on fire. Uh, Ag, ag has been topsy-turvy, but we at least got a trade agreement with our two nearest neighbors, USMCA. Tell me about it. Well, it's certainly something that we've been working on for some time. When you think about NAFTA, uh, went into effect in, in the early 90s. Uh, it was about time that we, we modernized uh, the, the trade agreement. Uh, there's a lot of things that are new uh, today than, that weren't in place when we had NAFTA. E-commerce, uh, biotechnology, things of that nature. So we, we've updated uh, what was a pretty good trade agreement for U.S. agriculture, we we brought it into, uh, you know, 2020 and updated it with some new key provisions and also got some new access for some of our commodities, especially into the Canadian market. Yeah, so NAFTA went in in 1994. Here I sit in my farm in Huntington, Indiana, and I'm a former factory worker, as was my uh, my wife. So we both uh, read and kept up with all this stuff during the 90s because we said, hey, man, does this mean that we're going to be shipping our factories to Mexico? And sometimes that kind of happened. Then they went from there to uh, to China. But uh, it was generally positive for agriculture, uh, NAFTA, or so we thought, because Mexico was getting a uh, advancing economy. Uh, Canada's always been an advanced economy, and it's our nearest piece neighbor. So um, it was generally positive for agriculture all along, right? It, it certainly was. I think when you look back at, at, at Canada and Mexico, they're uh, two of our top markets in terms of agricultural exports every single year. Uh, Mexico is one of our top markets for a, a lot of uh, different products. And so it's, it's been uh, good for U.S. agriculture, but we are an integrated uh, North American market. So it's been good for U.S. consumers as well. We import a lot of food and agricultural products from Canada and Mexico as well. 
So you told me the number is about $40 billion. $40 billion total uh, is what we do. And then uh, your organization, that's the Farm Bureau, said that we might grab another $2 billion, which would be, you know, 5% increase. They think we're going to grab another $2 billion of agricultural exports with this deal. Does that sound accurate to you? Well, it, it, it is, but it's $2 billion on top of all of our exports around the world. So it's not necessarily a 5% increase, so to speak. Uh, the way U.S. ITC does their modeling, they, uh, they've got a lot of good economists there that believe that with uh, the, the frictions that are relieved through USMCA that we're going to be able to export an additional $2 billion worth of agricultural products around the world, not just uh, to Canada and Mexico. Incidentally, if you're watching this uh, video uh, and you're seeing John Newton, he's operating from his home in Washington, D.C. because he's working from home, and you'll probably hear a siren. We've, we just heard two sirens just during the warm-up. Okay, so the people listening to this podcast, you know, agricultural business people, and they're saying, okay, what's this mean for me? Well, the one thing I know that a lot of folks didn't probably even think about, starting like 10, 20 years ago, Mexico's economy was good, you know, getting better. They were becoming a, a more advanced country. Um, chicken. They bought that crap out of chicken and pork from us. So corn, chicken, and uh, pork, I think, are the big three that we send to Mexico. Does that sound accurate? Yeah, I, I need to look at, at the, the exact data, but they're, they're a top market for a variety of products, uh, especially on, on corn. They're a big market for uh, many of our dairy products, cheese, for example. So Mexico's long been a good good customer of USA. Then we get from them because uh, we buy stuff from them and it's mostly on the produce aisle, right? But we do buy a lot of, of produce. I think Americans have gone crazy for avocados and a lot of those come in from, from our southern uh, neighbors. I think the uh, numbers I read about a year or so ago, John, was that we ate about two pounds of avocados per American 25 years ago, and we're up to like 17 pounds of avocados, like some ungodly uh, increase like that. Like eight and a half times our consumption of avocados. So uh, I don't know, a lot of guacamole that's, apparently. That's a lot of avocado toast. It's a lot of avocado toast, but you know, they keep saying that. That's what the younger generation does. They, uh, <laughs> they're easily offended and they like avocado toast. All right, so on the USMCA, it's mostly a reset on NAFTA. Uh, it doesn't change our industry a lot, but at least we got an agreement. What's the next one? Where do we go? You know, cause that's the main thing is that, oh, well, we're not gonna replace China. We're not gonna replace China, we're gonna replace China. Well, remember China doesn't wanna be our customer. And, and I know that uh, the American Farm Bureau uh, sticks with the line that China is uh, gonna be our trading partner, but it's become pretty adversarial. Um, so it's important we have these deals like US and Canada. Who's next? It, it certainly is important. I, I think we're, we're still on, on track for the phase one agreement. I mean, they, uh, you know, last week came in and bought the, the most corn that they bought since the 90s. Uh, they continue to buy new crop soybeans. They bought 800% more uh, pork uh, from us this year than they did last year. A lot of that probably due to uh, African swine fever. We, we hope they live up to the phase one commitments. But then you talk about uh, China, by the way. He says they yeah. talk about China. China signed a 50 billion, told us that they would buy $50 billion worth of agricultural products per year. I said, oh boy, they're getting kind of hitting themselves here because the most they ever bought was $24 billion, and so that would be a more than doubling of their biggest year ever. But you think they're still going to, they won't hit 50, what are they going to hit? Well, so the, the, the target for the first year of the phase one agreement, you're right, there's a baseline of $24 billion. They've, they've got a commitment to buy 12 and a half more uh, this year, so that puts them at $36.5 billion. 
uh, in 2020, 2020 calendar year. Uh, but then that's also based off Chinese import data. So you need to take into consideration uh, insurance and freight. Uh, so, so my estimate is somewhere around $30 billion uh, worth of agricultural products from the United States to meet their phase one target. Uh, and today they're, they're sitting around, uh, my guess is $7 billion in sales uh, is what they've reported. And we've, we've got them down at about five, $5.4 billion in sales. We've got a long way to go to get 30 billion. Okay. <clears throat> uh, TPP, Trade Trans-Pacific Partnership was dead. It was dead starting in 2016. Uh, now we got this thing hammered out with USMCA, Mexico and Canada, the United States. Where do we turn our sights next on agricultural trade deals? Well, I think there, there's been an effort uh, in Washington, D.C. To, to go back and, and try to negotiate better access with the Japanese, especially on uh, the dairy front. Uh, there's there's uh, the administration uh, last week announced uh, that they're going to enter into negotiations with Kenya. Uh, and so that that potentially, if we're able to get that accomplished, can open up the door uh, to, to doing more business uh, on the African continent. So, uh, you know, at the end of the day, when you think about you know, our productivity growths that we have here in the United States, our yield growth that we have, uh, we need to find more partners around the world. We need better access to those markets. We need to get rid of uh, tariff and non-tariff barriers to trade. That's going to be the success of, of U.S. agriculture. <clears throat> now, uh, you, brought up, you brought up dairy. Uh, dairy was the sticking point with us in Canada. I still don't understand it. I'm from a dairy farm background. I still don't understand it because uh, just like the milk checks, they're so convoluted and uh, how they pay. What was the actual problem with us in uh, Canada on dairy on this trade deal? Because what ends up happening is we get 3.6% of the Canadian uh, marketplace newly opened up to us for our dairy. 3.6% of a 37 million person country. It's like picking up Indianapolis. I mean, it's like, <laughs> it's like, okay, all right, great. We got a million people. Ooh, uh, I mean, what, what are we talking about? Well, I think, you know, you're right about milk pricing being very complex. The Canadian dairy industry uh, is, is also very complex. They have a, a supply management system that they run uh, there in the country. And I think our challenge with them really dates back uh, a few years ago when they instituted what we call the class seven uh, pricing system there in Canada that, that essentially, uh, you know, prevented us from exporting some of our higher value dairy products that, that we really built. Uh, we built companies and businesses supplying ultra filtered milk products uh, into Canada and they, they changed their pricing system to really close the door on us. And so uh, under USMCA, they're supposed to get rid of that. Uh, class seven pricing system, make it align more with, with how milk is priced uh, here in the United States. Uh, and then they did give us 3.6% of their market. I think there's some, some disagreements today on uh, the TRQ access that Canada did provide us. Uh, so uh, Ambassador uh, Lighthizer has said that they, we may potentially uh, have to, to go into some sort of uh, dispute mechanism with Canada on their, on their dairy issues. Okay. <clears throat> Japan. What about England? Uh, I'm sorry, Britain, Great Britain, United Kingdom. Uh, dropping out of the EU, are they going to become our? They're going to become our new buddy. You know, I, I think the key to that is is whether or not they're going to accept agriculture as part of any any trade agreement. Uh, you know, we've we've long had difficulties on in Europe uh, getting access for our agricultural products. They have non tariff barriers to trade, for example, on how we we wash poultry. Uh, they won't accept. 
uh, those products. They're, they're not exactly on the same page as us when it comes to, to you know, seed technology and the use of, of biotechnology and agriculture. So uh, I, th- I think whether or not there's, you know, ag provisions in there, uh, we'd, we'd love to see it. Uh, we don't know at this point uh, whether or not that's going to be included. I talk about this in the book, Food Fear, dear listener, but he says non-tariff barriers. What he's talking about is, for instance, uh, the uh, European Union plays protection. They play protection. They say, we're going to protect our guys and our producers, and we're going to not allow these poultries to come in here from the United States because it's, and they'll pretend it's about safety. It's not about safety at all, is it? No, no, it's, it's, it's not about safety. I mean, uh, you know, the food supply in the United States is, is very, very safe. Uh, we have FDA-approved uh, procedures here in the United States, but but they have non-tariff barriers that prevent us uh, from shipping our our poultry uh, in, into the into Europe, for example. Yeah, same thing with seed technology. They uh, they are they are before before Bayer bought Monsanto, Bayer and BASF were two big German companies, and they said we don't have GMO uh, uh, seed, uh, so let's make sure that we pretend that uh, it's unsafe. That's why we don't want to come in here to protect our own, right? Well, I think you know when we think back about, you know, part of the bigger picture here is on sustainability and, and without these, the seed technology, without, you know, the right place, right time, without precision agriculture, uh, we couldn't do the things that we're doing today. And, and I think you have to accept uh, modern agricultural technology if we're going to continue to improve and reduce our environmental footprint and, and getting the Europeans on the same page with that. Not only would it, would it help us in the European market, it would unlock the African continent because there's a, on anti-GMO uh, fear there as well. Yeah, the thing is you and I are talking about science and economics, and those are not two concepts that are understood by Main Street uh, citizens. Um, next question, uh, if I'm an agricultural person here in the United States of America, what do I need to know? What did USMCA just do for me? I think one of the, you know, several things, and really a lot of it's designed, you know, on the, the Canadian front, uh, for example, U.S. wheat, when it would enter Canada, automatically got downgraded as feed-grade wheat. Uh, that's been fixed. Uh, Canada had uh, protections against uh, U.S. poultry and U.S. dairy, and that's hopefully uh, being fixed. It also, uh, you know, USMCA, there's uh, biotech approval. There's uh, geographic indicators that prevent uh, you know, food names from being monopolized. For example, uh, Parmesan cheese in, in Europe, you you know, we have Parmesan cheese too, and we'll be able to use that label uh, there. So it, it, it modernizes, again, what's been a pretty good trade agreement for U.S. ag uh, and, and makes some improvements there as well. So part of the USMCA, besides we're getting maybe $2 billion more of uh, ag sales, is that uh, there used to be proprietary names put on different products, so we couldn't sell it because of that, is that what you're saying? Well, you know, keep in mind that, that the Europeans came in and negotiated a trade agreement, and, and that was one of the things that they sought. And so we worked real hard uh, to try to make sure that we continue to use our, our branded product names uh, when we sell it and do business in Mexico. Got it. Uh, you're listening to the Business of Agriculture podcast, which is brought to you by my good friends, Harvest Profit. Harvest Profit is a North Dakota-based company, but it doesn't matter where they are because they serve clients in 26 states and four provinces. If you are an agricultural enterprise, a farmer, and you want a software solution that will help you manage your inputs and your outflows, manage your farms, manage your money, manage your business, look up Harvest Profit at harvestprofit.com. All right, John Newton, here's a question for you then. Uh, we got this trade 
deal going. Uh, we think we're going to have something with uh, possibly Great Britain. Uh, TPP, we're going to probably get with Japan first. Japan is our definite ally because they're feeling the thunder of uh, China right there in North Korea, so they've always buddied up with us. Where else do we have opportunities to, to expand our, uh, our trade? Well, you know, again, we don't have uh, free trade agreements with, with that many partners. So I think, you know, there's a lot of places around the world that we can get uh, better and more preferential access. When you look at our top markets, uh, U.S., uh, you know, USMCA, Mexico, Canada, uh, China, Japan, and South Korea, that's 50% of our ad trade right there. And, and we've renegotiated uh, that within the last two years on all those fronts uh, between U.S., Japan, uh, Chorus, Mexico, Canada, and the phase one agreement with China. So I think, you know, beyond that, you start to look at some of the other uh, Southeast Asian countries and, and whether or not we can get an FTA done there. I think there may be some challenges with, uh, you know, leadership in some of these Southeast Asian countries with respect to, you know, human rights. And that might be a challenge, you know, from the democratic side, but uh, those are where the emerging economies are there and, and on the African continent. And I think, I think paying attention to those markets is going to be, going to be key. Uh, for, for U.S. agriculture, getting in there, getting that business. Uh, we've got the best products in the world. We just need an opportunity to get in there and do business. I agree with that. I've also always pointed out that uh, trade isn't the silver bullet that it once was because other countries have learned how to produce food. You know, Brazil, Argentina, Australia, India, now even China as the number two corn producing country in the world. So we, we can't look at it as a silver bullet. It's gonna, we're not going to bring back $7 corn just because uh, we struck a trade deal. But trade is important because we produce so much abundance and we only have 330 million people. Talk about China. Yesterday's episode of the Wall Street, uh, uh, edition of the Wall Street Journal, they forged a deal They're in deepening their uh, relationship with Iran. <clears throat> Iran is hostile to the United States. China is semi-hostile to the United States. You got two countries that one's a customer, one will never be a customer. One is openly hostile, one is passively hostile. Uh, should we be worried? Well, you know, I, I think that, that obviously the administration is very focused on, on a, a number of issues with respect to China. You know, all, all we're focused on is, is the agricultural front. And, um, you know, they've done a lot on the non-purchase front to live up to their phase one commitments in terms of approving more uh, U.S. plants for export. There's 500 uh, beef facilities now approved for export. They've approved more dairy plants uh, for export into China. They've, they've promised to look into uh, their ban on the use of ractopamine. So there's non-tariff things that they're that they're doing to live up to their phase one commitments. Then obviously, by the way, ractopamine, dear listener, if you don't know, uh, help explain that there, John. It's a growth promotant used in pork <clears throat> and uh, common. Uh, what a good uh, the product name is. Oh, uh, geez, now you're asking me to be a scientist. It, okay, it, well, it, whatever it, the hell it is, it's growth, right? It's a it's a growth promotant, and uh, China used to say they couldn't bring in the pork in that had been uh, produced with it. Now, when you kill off half of your hog herd through African swine fever, you become a little less choosy. Is that what happened there? You know, I don't, you know, it was part of the phase one agreement. I know many of the, the, the companies, I believe Elanco is the, the biggest producer, I think, of, of, of rectopamine products. I know they work really hard to, to get China to, to review that. Uh, there's opportunities uh, certainly there if, if they approve it. Uh, not only could could more port facilities in the United States export to China, uh, you know, whether it's all based on phase one or African swine fever, I, I don't know. Uh, but but certainly on the non-tariff front, uh, they, they've done a lot uh, to live up to their phase one commitments. But we're going to continue to monitor the purchases. And then, 
if you think about the phase one agreement after this year, next year, uh, it says it's supposed to continue on that trajectory, you know, in 2023, 2024, 2025. So I think anything to make us more competitive in that market is good um, for, for U.S. agriculture long term. But there are, you know, a, a number of other you know, challenges with China outside of agriculture. <clears throat> Talk about uh, these other opportunities for us. Uh, I see uh, some of the countries that also are a little bit uh, bothered by the China situation uh, become more cozy with us. Uh, do we, when you name the top countries that uh, bulk up for our trade, you said China, U.S., Canada, uh, Japan. Who else? Well, our top fifty percent: South Korea, Japan, Mexico, Canada, China. Got it. So uh, we got a lot of other places to do this. Uh, the other question I would have for you then is, okay, <clears throat> how big can the numbers get? How, how, can, we, can we gain $2 billion of new ag sales every year? Uh, I think two, $2 billion is, is certainly manageable. I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, when you think about us exporting $130, $140 billion with a year of agricultural products, uh, adding $2 billion on top of that is a couple cents per bushel kind of thing. Okay. It's not couple couple percent so that's not a big deal um <clears throat> what's the reason that's not going to happen I, I don't think it's I, I don't think it's not going to happen i think i think probably one of the challenges we have right now as an exporter is just the the strength of the u.s dollar i mean that's that's going to create headwinds for us uh, around the world uh, you know right now u.s ag exports are down about four percent uh compared to uh, the you know the first five months of, of 2019 and, and, you know, down to Canada, down to Mexico, it's, it's up slightly to China. I believe it's down in Hong Kong, down in Japan, down in South Korea. Uh, so I think that, that, that would probably be one of the biggest, you know, headwinds is just the, the relative strength of the dollar. And then when you think about some of our major competitors, you know, the, the weakness in the Brazilian currency, you know, makes it very difficult uh, for us to, to compete long run, it, it promotes, you know, additional acreage growth in South America because they end up having uh, what amounts to be record high commodity prices while we've got depressed commodity prices. Yeah, so that's the bigger concern, John. Uh, we've got a high, our, our currency is is uh, valuable and uh, in Brazil it is not. And so Brazil, <clears throat> you got this situation where Brazil is um, uh, still bulldozing, are they still bulldozing forest and planting soybeans? I think they are. So, uh, what? We, how our situation in Brazil? They're going to continue to be in a better situation because they've got cheaper ground. They can go out and bulldoze over some some ground and put soybeans in it. And then also the currency is very low value, right? Well, and then they've gotten really good at, at their second crop corn. It's not really a second crop anymore. It's just they're raising corn, so they can come in and double crop, uh, and they can respond in season to changes in demand. So if there's all of a sudden a run up in corn prices in the marketing year, they can respond a lot faster uh, than we can, for example, because we got to wait till the next growing season. So I think uh, there's, you know, there's, you know, they're going to be a, a big competitor of ours on the corn and soybean front. Uh, we know what, you know, Eastern Europe, the Black Sea region on wheat. Uh, we know what New Zealand, uh, Australia and Europe, uh, their competitors on pork and dairy products with us. Uh, like you said earlier, uh, more countries around the world are, are getting pretty good at raising food, and that makes it that much more competitive uh, to, in the global markets. Does Brazil, uh, does Brazil start becoming a major protein producer since they've got the corn and soybeans that they just go ahead and start throwing up chicken houses and, and pork and uh, <laughs> all houses? 
you know, you know, we'll see. I, I think, you know, when you talk to folks in the industry, one of the things that, uh, you know, many in agriculture are trying to shift to and, and is, is this whole move towards sustainability and how that could be used uh, to help us get more business around the world and that our agricultural products are, are more sustainably produced than in some of our competitors. Right. Countries. So you think that our, our answer is we've got to continue to just demonstrate that we're more environmentally compliant, that kind of thing. Uh, I think, I think that's, that's one of the things that will likely be used to market our products around the world. I agree with you. Okay. Uh, closing thoughts. What else? Trade, USMCA, uh, hiccups. Are we going to end up with a, is there going to be a hiccup? Is it going to just continue to plot, plot along? I mean, we, sometimes we have these deals and then all of a sudden they blow up. We got a problem. You know, I think, I think we need to continue to monitor, uh, the, the phase one agreement with China, uh, and, and hiccups moving forward. I mean, you know, we're coming out of, well, hopefully we're coming out of, you know, this pandemic. I think that's going to be uh, a big challenge moving forward. When you look back over the last uh, three years, Damien, the federal government's been involved in agriculture in a way it hasn't been before in terms of ad hoc disaster payments, ad hoc trade assistance payments, uh, ad hoc coronavirus assistance payments. Uh, $19 billion so far this year, right? Well, we've got a 16 billion coronavirus food assistance program. We had a little more than 3 billion in trade payments that went out earlier in the year that were authorized uh, last year. Yeah. Uh, we, you know, we're going to need to figure out a way uh, for the farm economy uh, to be less dependent on these ad hoc payments. And, uh, you know, when you pump that much money into the farm sector, you can't just turn it off. Um, and we're going to need to work, work through that and, and kind of wean ourselves back into uh, a, a market that's uh, d dependable in terms of we know where we're doing business. You know, the, the challenge that we've had in all of these years is that uh, you go into a season and you think this is the, this is the market we're, we're raising our crops for, uh, and then it gets pulled out from under you. And, and we haven't had a year without significant uncertainty since 2017. And, and we need to get certainty uh, in our markets. And I think that's, that's ultimately what we need, you know, moving forward is, you know, certainty, knowing where the demand is. Uh, and then farmers can make business decisions, but it's hard to make business decisions when uh, the floor is always moving underneath you. Of course, everybody has that situation right now. There's a great deal of uncertainty uh, for uh, the, the mom and pop pizza shop to the laundry laundromat to everybody right now. There's a lot of uncertainty. So it's not just a unique to agriculture. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. All right. This episode of the business of agriculture is brought to you by Harvest Profit. I do encourage you to go and check out harvestprofit.com. It's a software solution that will help your agricultural enterprise be more productive, more profitable, more prosperous. John Newton, uh, the Chief Counsel of the American Farm Bureau Federation. Last thoughts, last ideas, last anything. Open mic. Open mic for you. You can just say whatever you want. Well, I'm glad the, uh, the siren stopped for the last 30 minutes or so, so. That's open mic, but I meant something about agriculture and economics, for crying out loud. We, 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 all, we all know that the siren stops. <clears throat> you, know, I, it's, you know, this is just a, a really tough time. Uh, for agriculture. We've been working so much the last, you know, four or five months. It feels like four or five months. Really, it's only been three three months or so 
Yeah. Uh, just identifying all the, the challenges that coronavirus has, has brought upon agriculture. Uh, we're starting to see certain sectors uh, recover, but there's a long way to go. Ethanol is slowly getting back to normal. Beef and pork production is slowly getting back uh, to normal. But, you know, we continue to work because there are farmers out there that, that haven't yet uh, received assistance, who've seen their business evaporate. Uh, you, you take that combined with, you know, headwinds or uncertainty on the trade front, it's a tough time in the farm economy. So we continue to work. farm economy. Now you mentioned ethanol. Uh, we had the ethanol guy on here a couple of months ago. We were at like half capacity, less than half capacity of the ethanol plants were even running. So, because there's nobody burning fuel. So uh, that comes back a little bit, but uh, it's still going to be a while. It, it comes back a little bit, but, but think about it. If, if states start to go backwards in terms of their reopening, uh, you know, are we going to have school in the fall? You know, that's a big demand point for food. It, it's certainly very challenging. Uh, food price inflation is, is going, uh, you know, it's the highest it's been since 2011. Uh, you take that and combine it with, you know, more than 30 million people out of work. Uh, we're not out of the hole yet uh, with all this. And I, I think that's where, you know, we continue to work. I hope things start to get back to normal. But uh, when you see the, the new cases, new coronavirus cases every single day, even though the, the mortality rate uh, now is, is significantly lower than it was in, in mid-April, uh, it's going to inhibit our ability to reopen the economy because people just aren't going to be comfortable uh, in these large settings. The uh, last thought, though, you had mentioned, I forgot to get around to it on your closing thoughts. You said about Africa, you know, those are emerging economies, somewhat emerging economies. How long until they have the money to really become players to buy our stuff? Well, I'll probably be in the ground, my friend. Okay, so it's gonna, it's, we're we're going to we're going to sell some piecemeal stuff, but we can't we can't bank on the continent of Africa uh, replacing China, can we? Not not anytime soon. I don't think so either. Cool. All right. So the siren stopped. Uh, he he just did what all good economists do: gave you some good, gave you some bad, and then gave you some uncertainty. Look at that. See, In three hands. Right. Right. Okay. <laughs> ask a hundred different economists, a hundred different, a hundred questions. You'll get a hundred different economists, the same question. You'll get a hundred different answers. Isn't that what they used to say? All right. <clears throat> His name is John Newton. You can look him up. He keeps up with me on social media. You can keep up with him on social media. He's big on LinkedIn. It's John Newton, American Farm Bureau Federation. He's over on, uh, he's over on Twitter also. It's the, got a funky handle. What's your handle over there? Uh, new 10 underscore ag econ. New, the numeral 10, underscore, ag econ. Yeah. Find me on TikTok, too. <laughs> yeah, right, on TikTok. All right. Till next time, thanks for being here, by the way, Professor Newton. Thank you. I appreciate it. You're right. Till, till next time, it's the business of agriculture. If you've enjoyed this episode of the business of agriculture, please share it with your network. Be sure to connect with Damien on LinkedIn, like his Facebook fan page, and follow him on Instagram and Twitter. For speaking inquiries or to purchase Damien's books, Food Fear, or Do Business Better, go to DamienMason.com.